Welcome back for another week of the Growing Patriot Podcast. Have you been having fun learning about colonial life? I know I have. And here's my friend to tell you all about what we'll be doing this week. My name is Ruby Davis. I am 11 years old and I'm from California. This week, we'll be talking about colonial music. Music is something that makes us feel like we're all together. Maybe we know the same songs or the same singers. Maybe we play the same instruments. So learning about the kind of music in a period of history can definitely tell us a lot about the people who lived in that time. Here are Ruby's questions to help us learn a lot more. What type of music did they sing? Where did they get their songs from? How did they listen to their music? How did they learn music? Those are some really good questions that are going to help us get right to what music was all about in the 18th century. You ready for some answers? This week we have the most perfect expert you can imagine. His name is Dr. Hildebrand, and he is the director of the Colonial Music Institute. He has spent his whole life studying just what we're talking about today, so I can't think of anybody better to answer Ruby's questions. Ready? Here we go. What kind of music did people sing in the colonial era? The two main kinds of music uh, were sacred music, meaning that of the church, and secular, and secular is a word that means anything uh, for other purposes, like music for dancing, music for the theater, music to sing while you're working. Um, There were many more different types of secular music. I just named a few. Uh, Dancing might have been the most popular. Uh, Normally when people would dance, you'd have one or two violin players, or fiddlers, as you'd call them. Hmm. Uh, There was also music associated, of course, with the military. Uh, There were fifers and drummers who were common soldiers uh, in the American and British armies both. And uh, they played those instruments to uh, often to communicate signals from the officers out to the other soldiers. Um, They also, of course, set the beat for marches like Yankee Doodle to try to keep everybody happy when they have to walk so far. Um, the, let's see, when you say sing, you're right. So the, uh, actually the fife and drum music is not singing, but it's a type of music. Um, people loved Scottish music here in America. They didn't do Irish music so much during the colonial times. Mm. It was really after the revolution that Irish music started to catch on, even though there were Irish people who moved here. Um, it's amazing how uh, how much music there is, and and of course it, it depended on um, you know what your social class was, whether you were rich or poor or in the middle, whether you were white or of African descent. Of course, the music of the slaves and the freed blacks were were very very different, mm-hmm. um, and even back to the sacred music, meaning music of the church, you know, there were several different kinds of churches. Um, the Puritans. 
and pilgrims up in New England mostly believed in a very solemn kind of a music. They didn't believe in having organ playing along. They just wanted the voices only. Okay. Uh, and yet they got quite good at that. Um, about a hundred years after they arrived in 1620, the ministers of the what are known as Congregationalist churches of the Puritans and pilgrims, they um, decided they needed to help everyone learn how to sing, and so they sponsored singing masters to go town to town and hold lessons, and people got to be quite good at singing church music up in New England. Wow. Um, down here in the South, I'm in Colonial Maryland. Mm-hmm. I mean, excuse me, I'm in Maryland. <laughs> it's not a colony anymore. Um, but people weren't so uh, eager to go to church uh, as they were to go dancing and go to the theater. And um, I mean, it's, it's very rich. There are many, many different kinds uh, of songs that people would sing, and of course, in different languages. The African languages were sung here, mm-hmm. as well as German and French, mostly English, though. Uh, as if we're talking about the, the original thirteen British colonies, yeah. um, there were also colonies, of course, of Spain in modern-day Florida and Texas and California, and and there were colonies of uh, France up in mostly up in what's now Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you touched on this a little bit um, with Scotland, but where did people find their songs? Where did they come from? Well, many of them are passed down person to person. They learn them, you know, from a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a friend, and many of those are never written down. It's, it's what you call folk music, a kind of a folk music where you don't need to have music lessons or training. You just learn songs. And we, we often do that with young children when we teach them hopefully still, as <laughs> parents and grandparents are teaching nursery rhymes and little songs to their kids. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, um, uh, there was a fair amount of printed music that was imported, but it was kind of expensive, and it was really only the wealthier people uh, who could afford to buy printed music and then to play it upon their instruments like the harpsichord, mm-hmm. um, the violin, um, and which brings to mind something that may surprise you, that at least among the wealthier families, like George Washington's and the Jefferson's and the Carroll's here in Maryland, that among the wealthier people, it was very important that the young boys and the men only played instruments appropriate for them, and likewise the young girls and women played only their instruments, which included really just the harpsichord, which is a good thing to look up on the Internet and learn about. Yeah. And um, they also played a kind of a guitar we call today an English guitar, which is different from mm-hmm. the ancestor of the modern guitar today. <clears throat> and, and after the revolution, and those were instruments that were considered for men or for women. For women. And what were instruments that were considered for men? Well, basically all the other ones. Oh, um, <laughs> I see. Yeah, horn, horn, oboe, bassoon, violin, clarinet, trumpet, <clears throat> uh, organ. Actually, there was a female organist in in the South just after the revolution, but. The the idea for the wealthy women is that they would play for their advancement in education and to entertain family and friends, but they didn't play out in public, mm-hmm. whereas whereas men could. It wasn't really fair back then the way sure. they treated um, the sexes differently, um, because as we know, everybody can play music just as well as anybody else. Of course. Depends on how good they are. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the music then... Um, some of it survives not just in printed music, but in what, what's called manuscript, where someone would write out by hand with pen and ink some of their favorite songs. In many cases, 
since people knew lots of similar melodies, um, in many cases they just wrote out the words and said, you know, sing this to the tune of God Save the King, which is My Country Tis of Thee, or mm-hmm. Yankee Doodle, which people still know today. So, um, which leads you kind of to your third question. People listened to music uh, only when it was being played by real people. There was no recording, of course. Yeah. And so um, they, you know, they would hear music in these places I've mentioned, the church, the theater, the dance hall, private homes, uh, out in the fields when, when um, workers, both black and white, uh, would often sing to pass the time. And uh, so, uh, and then leading, all these questions are kind of interconnected. The, the yeah. last one, you know, how did they learn the music um, for the very poor people, and, and most people were generally poor. <laughs> there were very few people who had much wealth back then. And so the, the wealthier could hire private instructors to teach them music. Um, but for most times, people would sort of have to teach themselves. And that's something the slaves even did. There were quite a lot of slave fiddlers who mm. learned, taught themselves how to play the violin and, and would play for dances from plantation to plantation. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. There is. And I also want to talk a little bit about how music was sort of a, a cultural connection between people, you know, those shared those shared musical experiences, sure. the shared songs. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, you know, if, if we think here in Maryland, um, quite a few Germans came to settle in the center part of the state in the 1730s and 40s and 50s. And they liked to keep their culture alive. They um, they were very religious, many of them, and they would, uh, you know, they would have their uh, church services. Many of them Catholic uh, would be in German instead of in English. And even you know, a hundred years after the colonial times, there are a lot of communities that that still like to worship and keep their uh, older um, church music alive, and sometimes sung in their native language, even though. They mostly have to learn English to get along in America. And, you know, you see that whether it's Irish immigrants or German or English, um, certainly Africa. The hardest part for the African-Americans is that in many cases when, uh, you know, the horrible institution of slavery mm-hmm. brought them here, families were purposely broken up and separated, which seems even more cruel than yeah. all the other parts of it. And... Um, and yet they found networks of communication such that they could sneak away um, or legally they could travel on Sundays to go spend time at another plantation with a parent or a child. And then, of course, the music for them was a a way to um, escape temporarily from such a rough life they had and uh, also to celebrate, you know, like everyone else, celebrate weddings or birthdays or funerals or, you know, mark important life events. Absolutely. And we still do that with music today. We celebrate and remember and just use that as a way to be together. It's great to see how we have that in common with our ancestors from the 18th century. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a fascinating period. And thank you too, Ruby. Bye. Bye. Now, I would love to share with you a couple of things that people wrote during the 1700s about what music meant to them. 
The first one is something that a man named Lord Chesterfield wrote in his book called Principles of Politeness and Knowing the World. Now, this was a book trying to tell people how to behave, or as he put it, instruction necessary to complete the gentleman and man of fashion to give him a knowledge of life and make him well-received in all companies. So he means it's like manners and things so that you'd have lots of friends. Dr. Hildebrand talked about how one of the main places people listen to music was at dances. And dancing was actually really important in the 18th century because it was one of the places that people got to be together and especially that men and women could be together and maybe get to know each other a little bit. And Lord Chesterfield thought that dancing was a great way to learn how to carry yourself better. So that means like the way that you walk and move. He actually called it genteel manners and carriage. (laughs) He said that those were the best way to know if somebody was a lady or a gentleman. And in that book, which he wrote in 1794, he wrote, Now, to acquire a graceful air, you must attend to your dancing. No one can either sit, stand, or walk well unless he dances well. And in learning to dance, be particularly attentive to the motion of your arms, for a stiffness in the wrist that will make any man look awkward. If a man walks well, presents himself well in company, wears his hat well, and moves his head properly and his arms gracefully, it is almost all that is necessary." So he thinks that everyone will make up their mind about you just on the way you move and even on the way you sit still. And you have to learn how to dance to learn how to do those things. So back then, learning how to dance was a really important part of society and you couldn't dance without music. But I also want to talk to you about something a little different and that's the music of slaves. Dr. Hildebrand talked about how a lot of slaves had to teach themselves music But in fact, they also had to make their instruments a lot of the times. Nicholas Cresswell, a man who lived in Maryland, wrote in his journal in 1774, and he wrote that slaves generally meet together and amuse themselves with dancing to the banjo. This musical instrument, if it may be so called, is made of a gourd, something in imitation of a guitar, with only four strings and played with the fingers in the same manner. Now, banjos are instruments that look kind of like guitars, but when they were made out of gourds, that means that you would take something kind of like a pumpkin, hollow it out, you could stretch a skin over the top of it, add some strings and a neck, and there's your instrument. So this was something that you didn't need a lot of money to do, but you could still play music and spend time together. So in colonial times, no matter what your social status, music was a big part of your life. Let's talk a little bit about what we learned today about colonial music. So people really sung two different kinds of music. Sacred music, which means music from church, and secular music, which means everything else. Now, the sacred music, the church music, could be different depending on what your religion was. For example, the pilgrims had pretty simple music. They had just their voices and no instruments. But some other kinds of religions would have organs and other things to go along with their voices. There was also a lot of different secular music. 
There was military music, which was the fife and drums that went out with the army. Sometimes they would play music just to keep the soldiers entertained and happy. And sometimes the songs that they played would be signals to the soldiers. There was music for dancing. There was music just to kind of keep people entertained and to have fun. There was music in the theater. There were all different kinds. People mostly got their songs from their friends and their family. There was printed music, but it had to come from other countries, so it was really expensive, and only the very wealthy people could afford it. Sometimes when people heard a song they liked, though, they would still write it down. Now, women and girls were only really allowed to play the harpsichord or the English guitar, and men were allowed to play everything else. They could also play in public, but women could only play at home. And if you wanted to listen to music, you had to listen to it while it was being played. Nothing was recorded. So you had to go to church or the theater or the dance hall, or you could be at home listening to someone play or at someone else's house, or even out working in the field. But if you weren't there while someone was playing the music, you weren't going to be able to hear it. People also mostly taught themselves how to play. Only the very wealthy could afford an instructor to teach them. But what's really important to remember is that just like today, music can be a connection. People sang in the language of their home when they came here from another country, and then they could pass that down to their children, knowing that they were singing the same songs as their ancestors back in another country. Or when slave families were broken up, they could sing the same songs and know that it was a way that they were still connected. Just like now, music was used as a way to escape from life, just to relax and enjoy yourself, or to celebrate, or to mark a special occasion. What's your favorite kind of music? Do you play any instruments? Thanks so much for joining me this week. Are there any special songs that you sing in your family? I'd love to hear all about it. Your parents can let me know on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My username is Growing Patriots on all three of those. You can also visit my website at growingpatriots.com to find more information. I'm also going to post some videos and songs and other things that go along with this episode. Remember to stop by iTunes to rate the podcast and subscribe and share with a couple of friends who you think might like it. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. America, land of the free.